On Football MD fam, we are back with episode 11 and we finally have some actual football to talk about with you guys. We are going to be covering every game from this past week and getting you guys ready for the week ahead. But first, thank you to everyone that has been supporting us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you're not already following, please head over there and check it out. Every day we're posting breaking news, player stats, waiver wire pickups, everything that you need to stay informed about everything that's going on around the NFL and keeping you primed for the fantasy football season. So today, guys, before we get started on breaking down some week one action, Mike and I have long awaited this moment, the ability to break down real, recent, up-to-date football. Week one has finally come, and we got to watch and break it down, and we're going to bring that to you guys here today. But before I do that, we spent a lot of time and effort trying to bulk up our website recently for you guys. And in doing so, I want to take a quick shout, shout out to two of our authors, Chris Ronan and James Ruka of the Sully Says and the College Football Corner pages. If you go check out the website, not only do we have, of course, our podcast that you can find on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, but you can also find much more on our website. Articles such as the ones you heard about in the Offense Alignment episode with Mike Bowe when he joined us. And, as I just mentioned, the Sully Says page where Sully has been doing weekly game picks. He's currently up $400 this season. And if you've been paying attention to the Sully Says page, he was a little rocky in the first week of college football when NFL wasn't going on. But this week, with NFL and college, he really, really hit big. I think he's up about 300 or more. Follow that page for weekly picks and spreads, everything you need to know about your gambling needs. And also, as I said, the College Football Corner, written by Chris Ronan, is being updated every week with up-to-date college football news, information, rankings. So make sure to check those out. Take a quick stop at our website. It'll be worth it, and you'll be well-informed after you do. Yes, definitely shout-out to those guys. I can't wait to have them on one of these episodes to talk about all of the awesome work that they're doing on the website. But we have a ton of NFL news to get to you guys today. So we're going to dive right into it with the first game of the season this past Thursday night. Falcons at Eagles. Of course, the big stars from this game, Julio Jones, who saw 19 targets, brought in 10 receptions for 169 yards, still lacking in the touchdown department, but I mean, 19 targets is ridiculous. That's a 16-game pace. I know it's early to be talking about 16 games, but that's a 16-game pace for over 300 targets. So for anyone that was concerned about him being hyper-involved in that offense, I think your concerns can start to temper off just a little bit. And of course, Eagles running back Jay Ajayi, he had 15 carries for 62 yards and two touchdowns. This is a guy that I was pretty low on going into the season, and he shoved it in my face a little bit on Thursday night. Well, I'll be honest, 15 for 62 is not stellar good. He's lucky he got into the end zone twice to really save his day. But overall, from watching the game, the perspective, obviously, you know, I'm a Falcons fan, so I didn't miss that one. But Atlanta, I would definitely be worried about. The number one thing I'd be worried about with Atlanta is the injuries. Big injuries to Deion Jones and Keanu Neal. Keanu Neal out for the season. Deion Jones added to IR, so he's going to be out at least six weeks. That's going to be detrimental to their defense and their season. And the Eagles picking up right where they left off. Now, don't get me wrong. They're going to miss Carson Wentz for the first few weeks, but... When he gets back, that team is as strong as ever. And they'll have success with Foles because of how strong the team is. Don't get me wrong. You would like to see an Eagles team dominate a down Falcons team when it looked like. They did not look good, honestly. But it is week one. And I'm going to say this right now. I'm not going to keep repeating myself. So I'll just let you know it applies for all the games this week. Guys, week one is always funny. You know, it's, it's it's always a difficult pick in your survivor pools. It's always, you kind of never know what's going to happen. There's always going to be a couple surprises. Don't buy too much into week one. Don't throw out everything that you have been reading, studying, learning, preparing for 
this upcoming season just because it didn't fit the pu- like a puzzle piece week one. And I will say, going back to Jay Ajayi real quick, my preseason thoughts on him are still standing. I am concerned about him going forward. He does not seem involved in the passing game at all. But Doug Peterson has come out and said that they want to get him more opportunities overall. So if we see his carries and his targets start to go up, that will improve my outlook. But for now, I'm not buying too much into his solid performance in Week 1. As I always say, you cannot rely on touchdowns on a week-to-week basis. We'll move right on to the next game, though. Bengals at Colts. The one notable, real notable standout on the Bengals side of the ball was Joe Mixon. Uh, Mike's Mike's been on a Joe Mixon kick lately, and he kind of convinced me. uh, 17 carries for 95 yards, one touchdown, seven targets, five receptions, 54 yards. Getting elite usage, getting top-tier production. Really, everything is trending upward for Joe Mixon. On the other side, just a couple notes for the Colts backfield. Wilkins, 14 carries, 40 yards, 3 targets, 3 receptions, 21 yards. And Hines, 5 carries, 19 yards, 9 targets, 7 receptions, 33 yards. So Wilkins definitely dominated the carries. Vice versa, Hines dominated the targets. So obviously if that continues trending in that direction, it looks like that will be a committee approach, which will be difficult to decipher as committees always are. But you're hoping that as the season goes on, they get better, Andrew Luck gets more comfortable, and hopefully a little bit more production can come out of that position group. I do think that Wilkins seemed like the more well-rounded back in that backfield, and as you guys know from the preseason, I've been extremely high on Wilkins, but this specific game script and the approach that the Colts took to that seemed like it's going to be, as Dan said, a committee, and that bodes well for Marlon Mack whenever he is able to return. Maybe he is he is able to take control of that backfield again, but for the time being, It's just week one. I'm still going to stick with Wilkins. I think that's the Colts running back that you want to own. And I think their tight ends had some interesting production this week as well. Doyle received 10 targets, which he brought in for 7 receptions and 60 yards, while Eric Ebron brought in 5 targets for 4 receptions, 51 yards, and a touchdown. Again, as you guys know, I was a little higher on Ebron than Doyle going into the season, and Ebron was much more efficient with his opportunity. He was used essentially as a wide receiver. But just to pump the brakes on him a little bit, Ebron was only on the field for 32 of 79 snaps. And seeing five targets is great, but Andrew Luck threw the ball 53 times in that game. That's about a 9% target share. So that's definitely not a number that you want to rely on. You would like to see him be a little bit more involved, but there are going to be a ton of targets to go around on that team outside of just T.Y. Hilton and Ryan Grant, who I actually think Ryan Grant is a nice little sleeper pick there. But a quick note about the tight ends from this past week. Only two of the top 12 drafted tight ends finished week one with more than 8.5 PPR fantasy points, and that was Rob Gronkowski and Jordan Reed. So, Tight end really is an extremely volatile position, so I think taking a shot on someone like Ebron, I think you could do a lot worse than someone who's going to be used essentially as a wide receiver. And as Dan mentioned, Joe Mixon was just, he looked like a top five running back in the league this past week. He does play the Ravens on Thursday, so maybe temper your expectations a little bit. He might not be going up in that 30-point range for your fantasy teams, but he, in my opinion, is locked in as a running back one going forward. He's someone that I'm not going to consider sitting as long as he's healthy, as long as he keeps doing what he's doing. And the Bengals offense didn't really impress me too much, but Dalton did look serviceable in a plus matchup. So just something to keep in mind going forward. They may be a little bit better than some people were expecting this season. Yeah, I mean, not to mention they can definitely play complimentary football. The defense has been good and have a bunch of playmakers in the front seven. So... The Bengals could be a little bit of a surprise there. Still going forward next week, playing the Ravens, not giving them too much of a chance there. No offense to them. I just, I really don't. Ravens looked really, really good. I know it was against the Bills, but they look really good at home. And I really just like what the Ravens have going on right now. If Joe Flacco can continue playing the way he played in week one, which he is a veteran quarterback and should be able to do so, it seems like they, they'll they be the team coming out on top this week. But still, like you said, Bengals look like they were are definitely trending in the right direction. 
Yeah, and we'll definitely talk about Joe Flacco a little bit more in just a little bit. But moving on to our next game, we had the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Cleveland Browns, which may have been one of the grossest games of football I've ever watched, honestly. But the main point of discussion for this game is obviously running back James Conner. 31 carries, 135 yards, two touchdowns. Then he added six targets, which he brought in for five receptions and 57 yards. What's crazy to me is that if Bell returns, he'll probably become irrelevant. However, I do not think that Le'Veon Bell is going to return before Week 10. I think that those rumors are becoming increasingly more likely. If you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers' website, they even took Bell off of their depth chart. But until Bell does come back... I'm essentially locking Connor in for running back one production. However, I honestly wouldn't mind flipping him for a stud at the running back or the wide receiver position that I'm certain will have season-long value. Like I said, if Bell does come back, James Connor could easily just become irrelevant. I would consider flipping him for a Devonta Freeman, maybe a stud wide receiver that had a bit of a down week. If you can get that kind of value back, that's pretty interesting in my opinion. Yeah, James Connor obviously looks really good as a fantasy owner of him I'm very happy with that but like you said it's it's nerve-wracking because you don't know Le'Veon Bell comes back he might be irrelevant who knows we really gotta like you gotta just keep an eye on that because you not not necessarily as soon as Bell gets back they're gonna immediately put him in the lineup there's a lot of bad blood going on like you said so definitely monitor that situation but Connor on the up and up as of right now. From the Browns perspective, I know that we talked and you think Tyrod Taylor has some safety net being with his rushing ability. I honestly watched the game and I really couldn't help but think to myself, Baker Mayfield would have won this game. And I know that sounds really silly, you know, Tyrod Taylor, he is a veteran and I sh- not that I'm trying to sleep, but I just look at his stat line, 15 of 40 passes, Less than 200 yards, one touchdown, one interception. That's kind of what he always is. He's kind of, he is that 200-yard passer like he had this week. One touchdown, one interception, and a moderate rushing. But he's never going to go and win you a game. He's never going to go out and get you that W. He's just not that guy. So I would like to see the Browns put in Baker Mayfield because they finally do have the offensive weapons. Nick Chubb, Carlos Hyde, Duke Johnson, Josh Gordon, and Jarvis Landry, who had 15 targets. Just, they have the guys now. Their defense looked decent, obviously, like I said, week one. But they got three interceptions off of Ben Roethlisberger. Like, they just, right now is the time. Do not waste it on a guy who is, he'll be average to mediocre at best. He'll never be great. Take the shot at greatness and put in Baker Mayfield. We all want to see it. Do it. He's not really the type of guy that might be able to grind it out in those tough matchups. However, for fantasy purposes, I do think he is worth a waiver wire add. This past week, he showed the baseline that he provides with eight rushes for 77 yards and a rushing touchdown. So you can do a lot worse. That's 13 points right there, just about, for your fantasy team. So I think you can do a lot worse if you're playing the stream a quarterback game. Now moving on to the other side of the ball, the Pittsburgh Steelers, as Dan alluded to. Ben Roethlisberger was still rough on the road with three interceptions. The weather conditions were tough, so I'm willing to cut him a little bit of slack there. And I am personally expecting a huge bounce back in Week 2 against the Kansas City Chiefs. You heard it here first, lock in your Big Ben. I think he's going to be a top five option at the position. But looking at his offensive weapons, Juju Smith-Schuster was insanely efficient. He averaged 23.8 targets, of which he brought in five receptions. The guy was extremely efficient. That's what we saw last year. It seems like he's getting more involved in that offense. I don't know if that efficiency will continue, but it does seem like Juju Smith-Schuster is the player that a lot of people were expecting him to be going into this season. There's really not too much more to go into from this game. Obviously, Antonio Brown was Antonio Brown. He's the best wide receiver in the league, in my opinion. So now let's move on to our next game, the Bills, who played in Baltimore. And in my opinion, this game was filled with a few more duds than studs. We have LaShawn McCoy, who took seven carries for just 22 yards before being benched because the Bills were just obviously losing the game. That offense was a train wreck. And McCoy is going to continue to get volume, which should keep him in 
lower end running back two consideration, in my opinion, that offense is just so bad. I He's not somebody that I want to rely on. He's not somebody that I would trust to start week to week. And then we have Alex Collins on the Baltimore Ravens. He took seven carries for 13 yards. His one touchdown really saved his day if you started him in your lineup, as I know I did in a few leagues. But he fumbled the ball fairly early on in the game. And to me, it's scary that he's on such short of a leash. There is a bit of a silver lining here, unfortunately, that it comes from Kenneth Dixon being injured and probably missing a few weeks. But Alex Collins is the type of player, especially with Buck Allen looking good, looking involved in the passing game this past week. I think when Alex Collins has a productive game, you should try and move him, see what you can get for him, because clearly he's on a short leash. The team does not have a lot of draft capital invested in him. He's not on some huge contract. He does not have to be the starter. I would not be surprised if he fumbles again, if he's benched and Buck Allen or Kenneth Dixon, when he's healthy, is able to take that job over. Yeah, when I watched this game, I thought the uh, Ravens obviously dominated a bad team. And I know that sounds like an obvious statement, but let me just say, a big part of being a top-tier team in the NFL is not having those up-and-down games and not playing down to your competition. It happens all the time, and it goes unnoticed because the NFL is such a talented Group. It is closely competitive, and it's difficult to get get wins. But when you are significantly better, you have to be able to beat the other team. And the Ravens did that this week. They they were clearly the better team, and they showed it in every facet of the game. They dominated. Not that I think it's going to be a week in and week out thing for them, but I would keep an eye on some of the waiver wire Ravens wide receivers. I would keep an eye on their backfield just in case there are any injuries. Because if they are going to be an improved team, then I do believe a veteran quarterback like Joe Flacco can guide that team with a strong defense to a productive year, which could mean a productive fantasy output from week to week on some given players. Buffalo, on the other hand, they really need to find out what their identity is. Their their defense, which looked decent last year and pretty much guided them into the playoffs, did not show up letting up over 40 points. And then the offense, what what are they doing? Obviously, LeSean McCoy, a lot of touches, not a lot of yards. And it doesn't get any easier next week against the Chargers. So the Bills, if they want to be competitive, really do have to figure it out. Like I said, no team is out. It is just week one, no matter what happened this week. It is just week one. But if they want to turn this thing around, they need to do so. And they need to change a lot drastically as quickly as possible. I do agree. It is only week one. So if you're a fan of any team that lost this week, do not get too down on yourself unless you're a fan of the Buffalo Bills. God damn, they looked so bad. I'm not sure what they're doing. I thought they were sacrificing Nathan Peterman to the Wolves, and then they spring in Josh Allen anyway. Yeah, just start at halftime against the Baltimore Ravens. It's going to go great for you. I don't know what this team's doing. LaShawn McCoy looks bad. Their offensive line is Swiss cheese. They're, they're in trouble this year, guys. But Moving on to our next game, we have the San Francisco 49ers playing at Minnesota. And the stud from this game, the standout, one of Dan's favorite tight ends going into this season, George Kittle. He got nine targets, brought him down for five receptions, 90 yards. He is my top waiver wire target at the tight end position this week. The guy has the athletic profile. He has the team and the opportunity to take a big step forward in 2018, especially if Marquise Goodwin misses time. Now, unfortunately for the 49ers, this week did not go the way that they wanted it to, but they were playing against one of the top defenses in the league, so I'm not willing to count that too much against them. But Jimmy Garoppolo completed just 15 of 33 attempts for 261 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions. Marquise Goodwin put up a zero-point game. If you started him in your fantasy leagues as I did in one league, I am heartbroken. But he exited the game with a quad injury. He tried to return, played with our emotions a little bit, and then got pulled from the game just a little bit later. That's definitely something to monitor if Marquise Goodwin is not going to be healthy going forward. He's someone that I did have some injury issue concerns with going into this season. However, Dante Pettis definitely piqued my interest. This past week, he had five targets, two receptions, which he took for 61 yards and one touchdown. Definitely worth a look in deeper leagues, or if you're really struggling at the wide receiver position, I think Dante Pettis is a great add on the waiver wire this week, if Marquise Goodwin is set to miss any time. Well, frankly, I actually think that Pettis is a good look regardless in all leagues. I was actually very high on him this weekend. He was a bright spot. Him and Kittle were 
on a relatively on a pretty bad performance by the San Francisco 49ers. Now, this is a game I will stress it is week one, and I will not read too much into the hype. My co-host Mike here had expressed concern going into week one about Jimmy G in a league where we where we co-manage a team. He made sure that we did not start him because of his matchup against the Minnesota Vikings. He just wanted to wait a little bit longer. I should have taken that advice in all my <laughs> leagues. Unfortunately, I did not. I rolled with him anyway, even with a tough matchup. But that being said, it was a really difficult matchup. It was a top tier, top tier defense in the Minnesota Vikings. So I believe going forward, he will continue to give you a much better stat line and production going forward. So I wouldn't be too worried about Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he does have a lot of t- talent in a quarterback-friendly, production-friendly scheme and Kyle Shanahan really knows how to get weapons open and in space to make some plays. So I wouldn't be too worried going forward. I'm still pretty high on the 49ers. And it's not like they played a scrub team. They played a very good Minnesota Vikings team. The Minnesota Vikings, on the other hand, they looked great. They really did. Kirk Cousins looked powerful under center. He utilized Thielen and Diggs very well. Both of them had very productive days. I would note that Thielen had had twice as many targets as Diggs, but I really think that's just gonna. I think that's gonna fluctuate week in and week out. I don't think it's going to be consistently Thielen. Obviously, something to keep an eye on if it is going to be that way. If he's just built a bigger rapport with Thielen, whatever it might be, but something to keep an eye on. But I think that'll fluctuate week in and week out. And then definitely keep an eye on the running back situation because Latavius Murray did look good in the run game. Obviously, he did not have any targets, but he did look good when he was carrying the football. And that might that might take the ball away from Dalvin Cook just slightly. Still wouldn't worry about Dalvin Cook, though. He will get the targets. He will get carries. So he will be more involved and he'll be getting you those points of PPR. He'll be getting the ball in space due to the receptions, which could give you big playability. So definitely, definitely still very high on Dalvin Cook. Just keep an eye on the usage of Latavius Murray as well. Yeah, I think that Latavius Murray is nothing more than a handcuff to Dalvin Cook, and that was exemplified in Cook's seven targets that he brought down for six receptions, whereas Dan mentioned Murray received zero targets. I think game script in this specific game allowed for Murray to be a little bit more involved, and I think he will continue to be involved, but not nearly to the extent that I would consider having any concerns over Dalvin Cook's usage in that offense. But moving on to our next game, we had the Texans and the Patriots. And a couple surprise performances in this game, both for the good and for the bad. James White was somebody that I was pretty high on as a sleeper going into this week. He had five carries for 18 yards on the ground, nothing too special. But then he received nine targets, which he brought in for four receptions, 38 yards, and one touchdown. Now, I was calling for James White to be a start this week. But I would be surprised if that type of usage continues as Rex Burkhead and Sony Michelle continue to get healthy. Of course, Rob Gronkowski did Gronk-like things. Eight targets, seven receptions, 123 yards, and one touchdown. But then you have Philip Dorsett. He leaves my Colts, heads over to the Patriots. Worst possible situation. Takes seven targets for seven receptions, 66 yards, one touchdown. Really looked like he was filling the Brandon Cooks role. And I think that Dorsett does provide some serious boom upside week in and week out. Although that's not something that I'm willing to buy into and put him right into my lineup next week, I do think he is worth the waiver wire ad. And now for the other half of surprise performances was Chris Hogan, who really disappointed me this week. He was one of my starts of the week, I'll admit that. He received five targets, which he brought in for one reception and only 11 yards. I'm taking this as more of an anomalous performance. He fell fourth in target share behind Gronkowski, Dorsett, and James White. So I'm really not buying into that too much, and personally, I'm looking for any of my league mates to panic and drop him, please, for Philip Dorsett, and I'll definitely be grabbing Chris Hogan off the waiver wires. Or if you're a wide receiver needy team, maybe try and target Chris Hogan on the cheap. I definitely think he's going to bounce back and be a top target on that offense. And then the next 
dud for this game was one that I've been calling for all offseason, and that is Deshaun Watson. With 17 completions on 34 attempts, 176 yards, one touchdown, one interception, sacked three times. Of course, I don't necessarily hope for NFL players to struggle, but this is a guy that I got a lot of backlash for all offseason for thinking that he was being way overdrafted. And I will say that I do think he's better than what we saw today. And he obviously offers some upside with his legs. He rushed eight times for 40 yards on Sunday. But I would be extremely concerned if I drafted him high. That's something I urged a lot of people not to do. I think he's going to fall somewhere in the middle of what we saw last year and Sunday, which is a wide range of outcomes, which is a ton of risk, something you don't want on your fantasy teams. I can definitely see where concern about Deshaun Watson would be warranted. But quite frankly, don't forget, they did play the Patriots. Bill Belichick was the head coach there. Tom Brady was playing on the offensive side. Really an underrated defense, too. Yeah, definitely. So... Basically, playing a good team in the NFL, let's not sleep on that. Especially playing in New England, that would, that's definitely a difficult trip to make. So, although you would have liked to see a better stat line and more production from Deshaun Watson, they were ultimately, in the end, in the game. They didn't end up winning, but they battled back in the fourth quarter and put themselves in a position to be competitive against a good team. Hopefully, that could be something to build on. But, like you said, if you drafted Deshaun Watson very early in drafts, which a lot of people have, that is going to hurt you right now because the production was not there in week one. Hopefully, he could bounce back next week against the Tennessee Titans, who struggled last week, who struggled last week, but if it had any bright spot, it would be their secondary, who played fairly well. On the opposite side of the ball, the Patriots, their offense looks very good. Their defense, their offense looked very good. It's really plug and play with NFL players now nowadays. Like you said, Philip Dorsett, and James White, it doesn't really matter who it is. It might be Sony Michelle later, Rex Burkhead. Obviously, the only consistency is Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. Everybody else, you can really just take anybody and put them put them in a lineup with Tom Brady. And Tom Brady and Bill Belichick will get the most out of every single player that they put on that roster. So what's really to be said about the New England Patriots? So might as well move right on to the Titans and Dolphins game which was definitely a rough one hard to analyze right off the bat because with two rain delays extending the game for multiple hours it definitely was hard for any player to get into a rhythm and the game was definitely pretty ugly especially Derrick Henry right (laughs) I'll be honest with you not just that like Derrick Henry definitely, and I know you're going to highlight him as a dud and talk about why you have to worry about Derrick even though I love him. And I still am very high on him for the remainder of the season. I'm sure you'll skip over the fact that he did have a 70-yard touchdown run call back. Yep. So, but it was definitely an ugly game. I watched the entire game. I was studying that game. I was studying that game, and it was really on both sides of the ball, really very ugly. No, no team got into a rhythm. No team really looked good, honestly. And the Dolphins and the Tennessee Titans, it wasn't really surprising. But no team really blew you away or looked dominant. So Yeah, it was definitely a weird game to try and analyze, to try and take too much from. And I wouldn't panic on any players or buy too much in to any players based off of this single game. Because they were, of course, playing during a damn hurricane. But still, you can't deny certain performances that were put up during this game, such as Kenny Stills who received five targets, brought in for four receptions, 106 yards, two touchdowns. And I know it's just one week, but this is a guy that I was pretty high on during the offseason. And I know that he's not going to get a ton of targets. He's just not that type of player. But he has serious boom potential. He's a wide receiver three with an extremely high ceiling going forward. I think if he is available on your waiver wire, he's definitely worth the grab. And then we have, of course, my boy Deion Lewis, 16 carries, 75 yards, and one touchdown, followed up with eight targets for five receptions, 35 yards through the air. And his teammate, you know I've been waiting for this one. Me and Dan have been arguing about this all offseason, and they could not have played out any better week one. I'm not going to let him live it down, and I hope it doesn't blow up in my face. But Derrick Henry, 10 carries for 26 yards. And just to defend my co-host here a little bit, Henry did get game scripted out. They could not run the ball on the Dolphins. A lot of that could have to do with the weather, but I still do have some concerns with Henry going forward. Yeah, absolutely not. Derrick Henry Derrick Henry de- didn't get rolling in this game, but 
I am still fully confident that he will be the guy there. Like I said, it was an ugly game, bad weather conditions, and no real game flow ever got established. Wait until they get going. I would be a little bit more concerned about the injury to Marcus Mariota really affecting that whole team as a whole. So I would be more concerned as a whole with the whole team because of the injuries to Delaney Walker and Marcus Mariota. That's that that is definitely going to drastically impact that offense. And now, now so more than ever, they might have to lean on Derrick Henry and the run game. That's definitely a possibility, but their schedule for the run game does not get any easier in the coming weeks with the Texans, Jaguars, and Eagles all on the slate for their next games. But speaking to some of the injuries on the Titans' side of the ball, Delaney Walker going down is definitely a huge loss for the Titans. I think Jonu Smith could be a sneaky grab, but as Dan mentioned, Blaine Gabbert might be the starting quarterback for that team. So there's a ton of issues on that offense. And even if Marcus Mariota does come back next week or in two weeks, he did not look great before the injury. And that even has me concerned for Corey Davis, who I was extremely high on going into this season. And he did see 13 targets, which I love, but he only caught six of them. A lot of those passes, again, it was during a hurricane, but a lot of those passes were not very accurate. So that's something that has me worried about Corey Davis and basically every player on the Titans. Not to mention during the draft, you wanted Marcus Mariota bad. You said how many multiple times how you were upset that he didn't get back to you. I was calling for a bounce back and I mean, maybe he does get healthy and you know, he proves my week one overreaction wrong, but Man, before that injury, he did not look good. He's not a quarterback that's been able to stay necessarily healthy throughout his career, and he's not really been the best passer throughout his career. He's added a lot of value through his run game, which has kept him at a safe baseline and kept the Titans pretty competitive on offense. But other than that, he has not been a quarterback that's lived up to the draft capital that the Titans sunk into him. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. So I'll move right on to the Jaguars at Giants. Obviously, the Giants fall short in this one to a very strong Jacksonville Jaguars defense. 15 points against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense is actually not bad, being that that defense is the number one unit in the NFL. They'll dominate teams all season long, so don't be surprised if At the end of it, that is one of the higher point totals led up against the Jacksonville Jaguars defense. Highlighting the Giants offense was OBJ, 15 targets, 11 receptions, 111 yards. You like to see that high target total and obviously 11 receptions for 111 yards, very productive. Picking up right where he left off before the injury and also... As highly anticipated, Saquon Barkley, 128 total yards and a touchdown. Obviously a little skewed because of the 60-yard touchdown run, but he was good in my opinion. And as a rookie, that's all you could ask for. He will get better and he will be an elite level running back as long as he is healthy and, and that team does not face any major injuries along the offensive line that is already pretty thin. And on the other side of the ball, the Jags, that offense is very concerning. Blake Bortles has no real weapons besides Leonard Fournette, who sustained an injury. The one bright spot was TJ Yeldon. He looks he looks like he will be highly productive if Fournette loses any time and will garner targets even with Fournette available because he has been pretty productive. But with their defense being as light out, lights out as it is, they will be just fine all season. And, and you can expect what they did to the Giants defense this week all season long. Yeah, Yeldon was somebody that during the whole draft season, I thought he should have been taken around guys like Tariq Cohen and Chris Thompson. Obviously, Chris Thompson, when healthy, is much more productive. But I felt like TJ Yeldon was going to have a role in that offense, whether Fournette was healthy or not. Now that Fournette's dealing with a hamstring injury, the smart thing to do would be to keep him out for at least a week or two. So I think Yeldon is a must-grab if he's on your waiver wire. And I think you can lock him in for essentially running back to top 24 production at the position. Heading over to the Jags wide receivers, really none of them looked great. Keelan Cole only had four targets, which compared to Westbrook's six and Moncrief's five targets might be slightly concerning. I still think Keelan Cole is the guy. He was being covered by Janoris Jenkins. That clearly hampered his production. I'm not really lowering my outlook on him going forward. 
Jumping back to the Giants side of the ball, some notable performances were Sterling Shepard, who saw seven targets. Definitely like to see that. We were both fairly high on him going into the season, knowing how Pat Shermer utilized his slot receivers over his career. And Evan Ingram, he only put up three points for your fantasy team, but he had two pretty big plays called back that would have allowed him to have a nice week. I think he would have been around eight or nine fantasy points if those plays didn't get called back. So Evan Ingram is someone that you might even be able to target for cheap if anyone in your league is panicking and wants to dump him off. Definitely someone to keep your eye on. Now we move on to, hands down, the most fantasy-friendly game of the week. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers in New Orleans. This game just exploded. I think Vegas had the Saints slated to win by 10 points, and that just completely got shattered by everything that happened in this game. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who would have thought that the backup quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would complete 21 of 28 passes for 417 yards and four touchdowns. He even ran one in. Now, I'm not fully buying into this. We've seen him flash in the past. They do play the Eagles, the Steelers, and the Bears next, all very strong defenses. But the Bucks, as a whole, their offense looked very strong. Deshaun Jackson caught all five of his targets for 146 yards, two touchdowns. He did suffer a concussion, but this is another guy. He's definitely worth a waiver ad if he is available. Mike Evans, again, he caught all seven of his passes. He took them in for 147 yards and one touchdown. He really did look awesome. This is back to 2016 type of play. He made huge plays and got yards after the catch, something that's been a huge knock on him throughout his career. And then on the Saints side of the ball, Michael Thomas, this may seem like a bold prediction. I would not be surprised if he is the number one wide receiver taken off the boards in drafts next season. He received 17 targets, caught 16 of them for 180 yards, one touchdown. He almost had over 200 yards and two touchdowns if a big touchdown play wasn't called back. And of course, when you see production like that, you know that his quarterback, Drew Brees, was putting up big numbers. He completed 37 of 45 passes for 439 yards and three touchdowns. I know a big concern over Brees last year was that his touchdown numbers took quite a dip it's looking like he's on the right track to get those back in line with his career averages and then the huge performance of the game we had Alvin Kamara a player who a lot of people were expecting some regression from he picked up right where he left off last season he had eight carries for 29 yards and two touchdowns he combined that with taking 12 targets for nine receptions and one touchdown watching Alvin Kamara play is legit like watching someone play Madden. Of course, playing from behind helped, and you can't expect that game script and that type of production every week, but goddamn, he is one of the best running backs in the NFL. There's no denying it at this point. He looked amazing, and like you said, this whole game was very fruitful for all fantasy players, so I hope you guys enjoyed. But when I watched this game, I couldn't help but think that maybe, possibly, the Saints were looking past the Bucks or... I don't know if I really buy that the Bucks are going to be that team all season long. I was not that high on the Bucks, and if so, then I got to go back and reevaluate because I will be very surprised if this is going to be the team week in and week out. But they really did look amazing with Fitzpatrick. If Fitzpatrick plays this well for another two or three weeks, does Jameis Winston start? I think we definitely have an interesting situation. I mean, the Buccaneers, they have essentially taken Jameis Winston off of their entire brand. They used to have a huge banner of him hanging on the stadium. That's not there anymore. They took him out of commercials. It seems like the Buccaneers are slowly moving away from him. So I don't know what Jameis Winston's future looks like. I think when he does play, he is an extremely talented quarterback. But with his maturity issues and Again, like you said, Ryan Fitzpatrick was lights out this week. So if he can continue that, I don't know what we're looking at for Jameis Winston going forward. Well, like you alluded to, though, we have seen Fitzpatrick flash in the past, but he's never really that consistently good from a longevity standpoint. But the other one thing I would stress about this game before we wrap it up and move on is the New Orleans defense really concerns me. Letting up 48 points as a team that both of us were very high on going into this season. Yeah, sorry to everyone that I lost your daily fantasy leagues in. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's going to be a tough call because I really do think they have a lot of talent. But if they continue to play the way that they did this week, then that would definitely be a cause for concern. You would have to move on from them. They They really did blow this game. If you had them in fantasy, it was minus 8 points. Negative points is unacceptable for your defense you could have picked up any other defense off the waiver and played them and been just fine so I wouldn't say to abandon that pick just yet because I do have faith in them they were a 
very good and improving defense last year. So I would stick it out for the time being. Definitely a situation to keep your eye on going forward and make sure that you're adjusting accordingly if they don't improve. Yeah, I would say about like one eyebrow raised right right now for the Saints defense. You know, keeping an eye on it, but I'm going to keep riding it out until uh, we get a little bit more evidence that they're not going to be able to be productive. But moving on to the next game, we have the Kansas City Chiefs playing in LA against the Chargers. Patrick Mahomes. I mean, this is something I did not expect at all. Patrick Mahomes, he was one of my avoid quarterbacks for the week, but he completed 15 of 27 pass attempts for 256 yards and four touchdowns. The Chiefs offensive line looked pretty solid. And I will say, to defend myself a little bit, that was a Deshaun Watson-ish stat line. So I'm not fully buying into this game. But Patrick Mahomes really did look good, and I wouldn't have much concern starting him in the next few weeks when he plays the Steelers this week or in two weeks when he faces the Denver Broncos. I think he may be locked in for top 10 type of season at the quarterback position. And that's great news for Tyreek Hill, who this is a guy I missed on. I'm sorry sorry for anyone that listened to me and didn't draft him. The guy brought in Eight targets for seven receptions, 169 yards, two touchdowns. He took the first punt return of the game to the house. I was calling for regression. I still think it's unlikely that he puts up those type of numbers week in and week out. But the way that he played, he looked like a legitimately good NFL wide receiver. And he seems like he could finish in the top five at the position this season. That would not surprise me at all, especially with a quarterback that likes to throw deep like Mahomes. Yeah, it really was the three kill show. And that kind of resulted in... The two highlighted duds of the game, and that would be Kareem Hunt and Travis Kelsey. Kareem Hunt, 16 for 49 on the ground. Not really productive on less carries than you would have hoped. Travis Kelsey, six targets, one reception, and six yards. Again, concerning, but going forward when the season normalizes and Tariq Hill isn't just having a field day every time he touches the ball, it'll allow for more opportunity with Kareem Hunt and Travis Kelsey and no doubt I feel that they will be equally as productive as they have been in the past and maybe more so with Patrick Mahomes if he can continue playing at that at that level the most concerning thing for me for the Chargers is their defense their offense looked great but their defense was supposed to be a top tier unit we really were very high on them and they did not play very well, letting, obviously, Tariq Hill dance all over them. Peace out. So, I don't know. Definitely same situation as the Saints. Don't overreact. Hold on to them for now. But definitely, definitely keep your eye on the hopeful and expected improvement on the Chargers side, especially going up against the Bills this upcoming week. Yeah, and Kareem Hunt and Travis Kelsey, just to hop back to the Chiefs offense real quick, if anyone in your league is panicking on those players, Don't be afraid to target them. I think they will bounce back. They will be solid fantasy options going forward. But the Chargers, of course, they had their studs. Melvin Gordon, 15 carries for 64 yards, 13 targets, 9 receptions, 102 yards through the air. Keenan Allen, 11 targets, 8 receptions, 108 yards, 1 touchdown. You know that those are the studs on the offense. They're going to do their thing week in and week out. A few more notable performances. Austin Eckler, I'm not really buying into his performance in week one. I think he was more factored in because the team was playing from behind. And then we have wide receiver Travis Benjamin, who turned five targets into one reception and only one yard. And just from the eye test, not even from his stats, he did not look very solid. Whereas Mike Williams continued to do what he did in the preseason. He passed the eye test. He took six targets for five receptions and 81 yards. I think that if Mike Williams is on your waiver wire, it's not very likely, but I think he is someone to target. If he's someone that you haven't been starting and you are needy at the wide receiver position, he's someone to start thinking about moving into your lineups every week. I think the touchdowns are going to be there. I think the opportunity is going to be there. I like Mike Williams going forward. Moving on right to the Redskins at Cardinals game. The surprise for me was the high power Redskins offense. Adrian Peterson, 26 carries, 96 yards, one touchdown, three targets, two receptions for 70 yards. And really uncontested. Rob Kelly only had three carries and Perrine got zero. So 
he definitely is the lead back there. And as long as everything trends in this direction, he should be a very productive running back this season. Next week against the Colts, he definitely has a plus matchup. The other productive back was Chris Thompson, 5 for 65 on the ground with 7 targets, 6 receptions for 63 yards, and a touchdown in the air. So their backfield looks good. And Jordan Reed, 5 targets, 4 receptions, 48 yards, and a touchdown. Obviously being facilitated all this by Alex Smith. So everything looks really good in that offense. The Redskins should be feeling really good after week one. Can't say as much for the Cardinals who struggled. Sam Bradford, 20 of 34, 153 yards, zero touchdowns, and one interception. That'll definitely start the Josh Rosen Rosen discussion and when he'll be placed into the starting lineup. The Redskins, like I said, look legit. And the Cardinals definitely cause for concern. Need to uh, step it up going forward. Like we said, week one, everybody still has an opportunity to compete. But definitely, definitely, definitely not a strong week one for Arizona. And just to put a quick fantasy spin on this game, Adrian Peterson, I know he looked solid this week. And he is somebody that I would consider trying to sell after he tears up my beloved Colts this coming week. I know that it's going to happen. However, he is up there in age. He has a lot of mileage on his run game. So I wouldn't be surprised if he starts to wear down as the season goes on. He's definitely a sell-high candidate in my opinion. And Ricky Seals-Jones, RSJ, tight end for the Arizona Cardinals, he looked pretty serviceable. He received six targets, three receptions, 19 yards. A lot of those targets came in the red zone, which we'd love to see. He dropped a touchdown pass, which would have made him a top 10 play this week. He was on the field for 49 of 53 snaps, running routes all over the field. I think he'll be a fine option going forward. He's someone that's available on a lot of waiver wires, especially if you're playing the tight end streaming game. He's somebody that I would have on my radar. Moving on to the Cowboys and Panthers game. The main concern for me is the offensive line of the Dallas Cowboys. Everybody wants to look at Zeke and Dak and say that they did not have productive days. But in my opinion, I felt while watching the game that they were being dominated at the point of the attack, which is very uncommon, obviously, for the Dallas Cowboys with a stout offensive line. But missing... Travis Frederick is definitely impacting their offensive line unit. Probably the best center in the NFL. No longer with the Cowboys as of right now. Obviously detrimental to them. But I really don't think it's something that they can't fix. They definitely have to scheme and get assistance to the center from the stronger parts of the offensive line. Obviously Martin right next to the center at the right guard spot. Maybe he can maybe he can help Looney get settled in. And then once he does, hopefully that can improve as well as the season goes on. But a bright side for the Cowboys was would be the defense. The defense did have a couple of big plays, forced some turnovers, had a couple of sacks, definitely played pretty well. Obviously, not no complimentary football did not result in the win, but definitely the defense looked better than expected. And if the Cowboys offensive line can strengthen up, I do like their weapons. I think their wide receiver core will be fine. I think obviously they have a top tier back and and a serviceable quarterback in Dak Prescott. So the real concern would be the offensive line. And just to quickly break down what I saw from the Panthers offense, of course, it's unfortunate that Greg Olson re-injured the same foot that he dealt with last year. I did mention on the bust episode that you may want to avoid Olsen going into your drafts this season as that foot surgery that he dealt with last year has a 20% chance of needing a second surgery. So it seems like that's currently coming to fruition. Hopefully he heals up and is able to return to the field, but it looks like he's definitely going to miss some time, if not the rest of the season. As far as the Panthers run game goes, CJ Anderson looks like he might be a little bit more involved in the run game than a lot of people expected. CJ got 7 carries for 35 yards, whereas McCaffrey got 10 carries for 50 yards. McCaffrey also fumbled on the 5-yard line, which definitely isn't going to help him going forward. But with the injury to Greg Olson, I would not be surprised if McCaffrey starts becoming much more involved than he already is in the passing game, which could also lead to C.J. Anderson receiving a little bit more work on first and second down. I wouldn't be surprised if they start using McCaffrey almost strictly as a receiver while C.J. Anderson handles a lot of the work on the ground. So that's, again, something to definitely 
monitor in the games going forward and see where they're lining up on the field and the type of roles they're playing in that offense. But to move right on to the Seahawks and Broncos, the surprise stud from this game. I thought it was going to be Royce Freeman. I was hoping it was going to be Royce Freeman. I could not wait to talk about Royce Freeman. However, it was Emmanuel Sanders. 11 targets, 10 receptions, 135 yards, and a touchdown. Sanders was one of my value picks for 2018, and he definitely has a connection with Case Keenum. We saw it in the preseason. It continued in week one against the Seahawks defense. And overall, I think that Case Keenum looked like a serviceable quarterback. He completed 25 of 39 pass attempts for 329 yards three touchdowns of course the three interceptions you would like to see that go down but he also helped provide a nice stat line for wide receiver Demarius Thomas who received 10 targets for six receptions 63 yards and a touchdown as well so Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders going forward are both very viable wide receivers for your starting lineups at this point I personally would prefer Emmanuel Sanders but the one thing that broke my heart about this game was the lack of a Royce Freeman breakout. I was calling for it. I thought this was the perfect game for it. And he received 15 carries, which you definitely like to see. He got 71 yards on the ground. Nothing wrong with that. But Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay came out of nowhere. He also had 15 attempts for the exact same amount of yardage, 71 yards. The difference was made where Lindsay caught two of three targets for 31 yards and a touchdown, while Freeman got zero targets. I think Lindsay is definitely worth the waiver wire ad as he should continue to be involved in this offense, but I still believe in Royce Freeman. If he managed to score a touchdown on one of his 15 carries for 71 yards, there would be no concerns over this guy. However, it ended up going to Philip Lindsay this week. As I say, every episode, week in and week out, touchdowns are not something that you can rely on. It's not something that I'm willing to overreact to. I think Royce Freeman is still in line for a nice year, despite Philip Lindsay's clear involvement. I think what this really alludes to is that Devonta Booker has hardly any value. The guy receives two carries and two targets. He's essentially being phased out by these two rookies, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. On the other side of the ball, you had the Seattle Seahawks, who obviously Russell Wilson looks dynamite, looks like looks like you what you would expect. Obviously a top tier quarterback in the NFL, but as expected, not much help around him. The offensive line looks suspect. Again, the weapons around him were thin and thinned out even more so when Doug Baldwin came down with an MCL sprain. He will most likely miss between two to four weeks and that really leaves you with Brandon Marshall or Tyler Lockett, neither of which are really very attractive options in the passing game. The bright spot on the defensive side of the ball was the starting Griffin brothers. Both played decently well, but overall that defense did not look the same without without the Legion of Boom. Moving right on to the night game on Sunday between the Bears at Packers. This was a very exciting game. A lot to take away. Bowling will cover the studs and duds and the highlighted performances. I would like to talk more about the position of these two teams. The Packers, honestly, you would have you have to be very concerned about Aaron Rodgers injury if that's going to be a lingering thing obviously he came back and could barely put any weight on that leg and yet still led them to a comeback in a terrific showing this is why Aaron Rodgers is the baddest man in football he is the best football player in the NFL as of 2018 and if he is playing watch out because it does not matter who he is throwing the ball to he is going to light up the scoreboard and on the other side of the ball the big surprise for me the Chicago Bears looked really really good obviously the addition of Khalil Mack was felt immediately but the offense to me also looks very good the offensive line is improved Mitchell Trubisky looks comfortable there are a lot of offensive weapons Jordan Howard is getting involved in the passing game which means they will not be telegraphing when they have Tariq Cohen or Jordan Howard on the field what they are be doing versatility is key Trey Burton looked involved so in a classic tight NFC North battle showdown between the Packers and the Bears both teams come out looking very good in my opinion and this was a real treat to watch this was an enjoyable game 
both teams highly on the rise. 100%. This is probably one of the best games that I have ever had the pleasure of watching. If this was a playoff game and not week one, it literally may have went down as one of the best games of all time if there was more on the line for this game. Just a quick recap of some of the star performances from this game. You got to kick it off with Randall Cobb. 10 targets, 9 receptions, 142 yards, 1 touchdown. His numbers were a little bit inflated due to a 75-yard touchdown catch. He would have had eight catches for 67 yards otherwise, which I'm slotting him in as a solid wide receiver two or type player with some upside going forward. But in my opinion, he is an every week option, especially in PPR formats. Now, some of the duds from this game, of course, we have the Packers running backs. Neither was very productive, and I don't think either of them really started to get a hold on this backfield, which provides a little bit more opportunity for Aaron Jones when he does come back after next week. So this is a running back that's, if Aaron Jones is on your waiver wire, he is worth the grab. I will say, though, that Williams is great in pass protection. We saw it against the Bears defense this past weekend. So that alone should keep him involved in the offense, especially with the Aaron Rodgers injury, which, let me just say, Aaron Rodgers scared the shit out of all of us. If you have Aaron Rodgers in your league, you were so nervous when you saw him go down. You saw him get carted off the field. You thought his season was over, but the guy really is the GOAT. He came back, made it happen. Everything is back to normal. He clearly does not need both legs to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But back to the duds. We had Jimmy Graham, who saw four targets. He brought him in for two receptions and only eight yards. I know it's just one game, but Aaron Rodgers historically does not utilize the tight end too much. I said it during the preseason. He could still prove me wrong, but I don't think that he's the type of player that you'll be happy with week in and week out unless he is able to score a touchdown. For that reason, I do have some concerns about Jimmy Graham going forward, but I had the same argument for Devontae Adams. Being touchdown dependent does not worry me as much when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. So we'll see how Jimmy Graham is able to mesh into this offense going forward. Rodgers did seem very excited to have him on his team when he got signed this preseason. And the final Packers player that I'll touch on just very quickly is Geronimo Allison. He's 100% worth the waiver wire ad. We spoke about him in the preseason and he flashed in in week one. Eight targets, five receptions, 69 yards, one touchdown. He looks like the clear wide receiver three, which does have fantasy value on an Aaron Rodgers-led offense. So if Geronimo Allison is available, he is definitely someone to target. Now moving on to our two Monday night games, we're going to start off with the New York Jets playing in Detroit against the Lions. Isaiah Crowell, I mean, this guy blew me away this week. He had 10 carries, 102 yards, two touchdowns, and he is someone that I saw a lot of people being pretty high on this offseason. I was a little bit more lukewarm on him, kind of hedging my bets here. And I will say he did have a very uncharacteristic 62-yard touchdown run. Those long runs won't always be there. And Bilal Powell did receive two more carries than Crowell. He only took them for 60 yards, however. But I do think that Crowell has a limited ceiling, but an extremely safe floor going forward, especially playing against AFC East run defenses, such as the New England Patriots, who ranked 20th against the run last year, Miami Dolphins, 14th against the run last year, and the Buffalo Bills, who were 29th against the run last year. So I do like his prospects going forward. I think he is a safe baseline, even if I do think it'll be slightly more boring production than what we saw in week one. And of course, Golden Tate, one of my favorite wide receivers going into this year. As you guys know, I love Matthew Stafford. That means I have to love some of his weapons as well. Golden Tate is that guy. We saw it in week one. He received 15 targets, brought in seven receptions, 79 yards, and one touchdown. He has an extremely safe baseline due to his high target numbers, especially in PPR formats. If he's able to get a touchdown as he did this past week, that really just puts him over the top. I think going forward, Golden Tate is one of the safest options to provide week in and week out value at the wide receiver position. And it honestly pained me though. I did put Matthew Stafford as one of my duds this week just because of such high expectations that I had for him. He completed 27 of 46 passes for 286 yards, one touchdown, but four interceptions completely crushed me. However, on the backhanded fortunate side, I guess is how I would word it, I don't have him on any leagues. I think everyone that I play fantasy football with knows that I was targeting him. So a lot of people snatched him up before me and then tried to trade him to me. So I think I kind of saved 
myself for myself, if that makes sense, by talking about Matthew Stafford so much this offseason. I do think he's going to make a nice bounce-back candidate, though. He should be consistent from this point on throughout the season. Yeah, Matthew Stafford was pretty consistent and looks like he is ready to go, but the offense and defense was not very impressive as a whole. The Jets putting up a ton of points with a rookie quarterback. Sam Darnold looked really comfortable, looked really good. Came out through an interception on his very first play from scrimmage, but then turned it around and really had a very good day. And the Jets looked good. Their defense played well. Their offense played complimentary football. So the Jets probably being a little bit of a surprise, being a little bit better than anticipated, probably due to Sam Darnold. He really does look the part. He looks comfortable. He looks like he's making good plays and has good instincts. So, something to keep an eye on. The Jets might be a little bit better than anticipated. Vice versa, the Lions being a fringe playoff team year in and year out really would hope to have dominated this game against a team that really has had not as much success recently. So, a little bit of a surprise there. But all in all, I wouldn't be too worried They are a very talented roster and should be improved as the season goes on. And the final game of the week, the West Coast Monday night game between the Rams and Raiders, where the Raiders came out hot, but the Rams ended up dominating for the longevity of the game. Like I said, when it came out, the Raiders, they played tough. They looked looked really good. I believe it was 13-13 or 13-10 at half. The Raiders were right in the game and looked like they had showed up to play some tough, hard-nosed football. Unfortunately, the crowd eventually died off and it became all Rams. Todd Gurley with 20 carries, 108 yards, 5 targets, 3 receptions, 39 yards, and a touchdown. Obviously picking up right where he left off. And another note for that Rams offense, keep an eye out on that receiving core. Everybody looks involved. Cooks look good. Woods had multiple targets. And Cup also very effective. So definitely keep an eye on that receiving core and how that is going to continue to shake out. And before I wrap up the Rams, that defense looked lights out. Looks looks like every penny was well spent and definitely very high on the Rams going forward. They look like a dominant team and should have a pretty nice matchup next week with the Cardinals. I do think that next week will be an interesting situation for the Raiders to see how their offense really starts to shape up. And I know that I said that George Kittle is my number one tight end waiver wire target for this week. However, if he is not available, make sure that you are checking for Jared Cook. This guy received 12 targets. He brought him in for nine receptions, 180 yards. It's rare to see that type of opportunity, let alone production, from the tight end position. You can do a lot worse going into next week against the Cardinals secondary that I think he should be able to take advantage of as a potential mismatch. However, the rest of the Raiders offense was definitely nothing to write home about. Derek Carr, he was not a quarterback that I recommended drafting, and he was definitely not a quarterback that I recommended starting in week one. He could not get anything going. He had 303 passing yards for zero touchdowns, and he threw for three interceptions that's definitely not what you want to see from your quarterback especially after what we saw last year from him and that was reflected in Amari Cooper's stat line a player that a lot of people have pegged for a bounce back year in 2018 he only received three targets that he brought in for one reception and nine yards in fact Derek Carr only targeted wide receivers on nine of his pass attempts on Monday night that's not something that you want to see from your quarterback one silver lining, one point of clarity, if that's what you want to find in this offense right now, is Marshawn Lynch, who received 11 carries compared to Doug Martin's four carries. Both of these running backs received two targets. They caught each of those targets. I think Marshawn Lynch overall just looked like the better running back. He was fairly productive last season, finishing as a top 24 player at the position. I'm not too high on the Raiders' offense as a whole in 2018. But if you are looking for a running back, Marshawn Lynch was one of my favorite targets this past offseason, and I think he should provide some decent fantasy value going forward.
And there you have it. That is all we have for episode 11. I honestly was waiting for my co-host to come in over here. This episode went a little bit long. It is very late at night. I wish I could show you guys a picture of him. He is knocked out next to me. So I am bringing this show home on my own right now. Shout out to Dan, best co-host of all time. But thank you guys for continuously supporting the podcast. We hope that we have been able to help you crush your fantasy drafts this offseason, and we love that you guys have continued to support us throughout the regular season, following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at FootballMDPod. Remember, every day we're posting new information, keeping you involved with the latest breaking news around the NFL. We're getting it out before any other news platform out there. And we're relating it to fantasy football to help you win your leagues. Remember, people, just because we helped you get through your fantasy drafts, no one wins their league at the draft. You have to continue to study and make adjustments throughout the season. That's how you win in fantasy. Luckily, we do all of that for you. And we cannot thank you enough for listening to our advice up to this point. And we really hope you continue to do so. So thank you guys. And we look forward to talking to you again next week.